All right, Psalm 112. Psalm 112 today. If you're using a pew Bible, that's page 554. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, we ask you to grab one of those. I like Psalm 112. It's not necessarily one of the most familiar or most popular, but, but I like it a lot. Um, I think you're going to like it. It's a short one. It's really simple. We're going to end the sermon a little bit early today because we are taking the Lord's Supper. We take the Lord's Supper on the first Sunday of every month and we typically alternate that from Sunday morning to Sunday evening. Today here in December, the first Sunday of December, uh, we will take the Lord's Supper at the end of the service today. But we start with Psalm 112 and as I said, it's a simple one. And Psalm 112 basically lays out that there, that there are two types of people You could use that story a lot. There are two types of people in the world. But I want to kind of look at it a little bit more in depth to begin with. Psalm 112 is like two different people who are are arguing. They're arguing about which which way it's going to work. Have you ever seen people argue? Have you ever seen people argue to the point where they are both so adamant that they're right? When you, get to get, when you get to see one of those arguments, it's kind of fun to just sit back and watch, right? Because they're arguing and both are so sure that they're right. Somebody has to be wrong. And then it's really good to watch if you're going to be able to watch them figure out which one's right or wrong. And that's entertaining. You know, sometimes people argue and you're not going to be able to find out the answer. And so that is really a waste of time. And you'll say, y'all quit arguing, who knows, right? But if you can settle it, and you get to watch them settle the argument, well, there you go, you have it. It's like, it seems like every time we have our college Bible study, we have an argument on who's better at wrestling or basketball or ping pong or something, and we can just say, well, if y'all want to just go outside and settle this right now, we can. And you could if you wanted to. But it's fun to watch people argue that way. I don't want to make light of it, but we might say that all of life is a big argument about what's true, about what happens to us at the very end. And I hope that you don't necessarily argue, you know, in a sinful, angry way like that with people. But I do hope that deep down in your core, in your heart, the very bedrock of who you are, that you believe that there is a right way of life. But I pray that you would also know that there is, as the Proverbs say, a way that seems right to a man, but its end is death. It seems right. You think it's right, looks right, feels right, but it's not right. Then you would know that there is a way that's right. Psalm 112 is this. The first nine verses of our psalm today are that the man who trusts in God knows what's right. He gets it. The man who will not trust in God does not know what's right. And he does not get it. For people who believe in Jesus, this is everything to us. This is the way we view the world and life. Trusting in God or not trusting in God, it all comes down to that. 
That's Psalm 112. Read with me. Ten verses. Psalm 112. Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in His commandments. His offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in His house. And His righteousness endures forever. Light dawns in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious, merciful, and righteous. It is well with the man who deals generously and lends, who conducts his affairs with justice. For the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn is exalted in honor. And then a huge shift as it ends in verse 10. The wicked man sees it and is angry. He gnashes his teeth. He melts it away. The desire of the wicked will perish. Anytime the the Word of God gets to talking about somebody that's wrong, it immediately turns heavy. And this psalm does here at the end. Two points today. Number one, as I've already said, the one who fears God gets it. Gets life understands. This psalm is built on the way the previous psalm ended. There's a connection between 111, 112, and 113. These three psalms have many similarities. They go together. Look at the last verse of 111. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have good understanding. His praise endures Forever. The Bible says this a lot. The Proverbs are full of this type of talk. The man who fears God has understanding. He understands. He understands what? He understands life. He gets it. He knows what life's about. He knows when he should get worked up and the type of things he should get worked up over. And he knows all of the things that he shouldn't get worked up over. He has understanding. He gets it. And Psalm 111 ends that way. If you fear the Lord, that's the beginning of wisdom and you understand life. Don't mean you're good at life. It means you understand life. And then Psalm 112 begins this way. Talking about the man who fears God. He gets life. He has understanding. And it begins with worship. Praise the Lord. It begins by saying, blessed is the man. You know, the very first sermon that I preached in the Psalm series was Psalm 1. And Psalm 1 is one of my absolute favorite songs. Or psalms. It's... it's, it's um, It's one of the very first ones that I asked my sons to memorize, Psalm 1. It says this, blessed is the man. That's how it begins. And so does 112. It says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. You see that? He gets it. The wicked, then it shifts. The wicked are not so. 
but they are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The Psalms begin that way. There's a man that gets it, and there's a man that don't. There's a man that doesn't. There's a man that understands life, and there's a man that does not understand life. That is what it all boils down to. Now, the tendency of, of, of people like me or people like you is for us to look at our lives and if we're able to keep a job or if we make a good living or if we you know, have friends or things like that and determine whether we get it. The Bible would never do that. The Bible never wants us to see that the fruit is the most important thing. The Bible always challenges us to ask, why are we that way? The root is more important than the fruit. The fruit is important. But the root is more important than the fruit. And so it wants to continually challenge you to not say, you know, I'm doing pretty good. I mean, i got a job, pay my bills, my kids are happy or provided for. Because that's what we tend to say all the time. That's not Christianity. Those are parts of Christianity that may be fruit that flows out of Christianity, but that's not Christianity. Christianity says, I want to be that way. I want to live a fruitful life because I understand God. My life is centered on Him. I need a Savior. He loves me. He died to forgive me. Life is all about Him. It's for His glory. He is my Lord. He is my King. I am living for Him. These things flow out of that. And yet that, that root, that core, that heart is what determines the difference. So we have Psalm 112, back to blessed is the man. Well, what man is blessed? Are, are you a blessed man? See, you immediately go to the, the fruit, don't you? As soon as I ask, are you blessed? Your mind immediately goes to the fruit. Well, yeah, you know, I've got food on the table and a house over my head. That's the way we think. That is not the way the Bible wants you to think. You might be a sad, sad story and your bank account may be full. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord. We had a men's retreat back in October and we do every fall. It's always good. and We sat around the fire talking that night and a good group of guys there, all ages. We were asking, to, asking people to share if they wanted to. And we had a a young man speak up and say, one time I was in my room and what we were asking, when did, when did you know that somebody loved you in a way that was helping you get closer to God? That's what we were asking. When did you know that somebody loved you in such a way that it, it helped you get closer to God? We had a young man, he's in his 20s, speak up and say, I was in my room one time and kind of was trying to figure out how to get life together, but, but what and so my dad came into my room, which isn't normal. He said, can we talk for a little bit? And said, yeah. He said, I love you, son. But you've got to understand, life's about fearing the Lord. And I want you to do well. I want you to, do, I want you to be happy. And I am proud of you. 
But you've got to fear the Lord in all aspects of your life. I've never forgotten that night. I probably never will because that was huge to me. I saw a man in his 20s say, my dad looked me in the eye, told me he loved me, and yet told me that the most important thing for my life and the biggest desire he has for my life is that I would fear the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord. The psalm helps us understand what it means to fear the Lord. He says, who greatly delights in his commandments. Living for God, knowing God, understanding God, trying to have a life that lives under the, 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 the good sovereign hand and care of God is not burdensome. We don't, it's not a drag to us. We're not upset about it. We delight in wanting to live for God. At times, is it hard? Absolutely. Is His grace sufficient? You better believe it. We delight in that. And then I want to give you three words that He's going to flow into that kind of are, are, are characteristics of the one who fears God, the one who gets life, the one who has understanding. They are family, finances, and fears. Family, finances, and fears. Three ways here in Psalm 112 for you to kind of check, examine, evaluate where you're at as far as being the blessed man who fears the Lord. Family. Verse 2 says... His offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Verse 3 moves into finances, but it talks about there in his house. Verse 6 says he will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. I want to ask you here today if your trust in God with your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ being the, the driving factor which informs and, and, and shapes the, the type of person you are, is that good for your family? Now, obviously I'm fully aware that my family and your family is full of all sorts of people and there are all types of relationships and there is tension there and not everybody agrees with you, not everybody even likes you in our families. I understand that. I'm asking, does your trust in God make you a blessing to your family? Can people count on you? Are you encouraging? Are you encouraging? Are you faithful there? Are you a provider? Are you a giver? Are you a lover? Is there a support system there? This talks about that. The offspring of the blessed man will be mighty in the land. God has so designed family that the ones who are the older than the younger, whether it be the grandparents or the parents or the aunts or uncles or whoever, through their faith in God are to be a blessing flowing over into the next generation. That's the way He's designed it. It ought to be the testimony of younger people. My mom and dad are a blessing to me. It ought to be the testimony of one generation to the next, I'm thankful for them. They've always provided for me. They've always encouraged me. They've always pointed me to Jesus. They've always modeled before me grace and forgiveness and accountability. They've always been a help to me. It says this. The generation of the upright will be blessed. The very being of who we are, because of our fearing the Lord and being blessed, 
is now carrying over into other people's lives. Case in point, we've done the Philippians 1-6 testimony so many times, and how many times have we heard somebody say that it was through family relationships? It happens a lot. Family relationships. Matthew Henry says, The Word of God rightly used does not leave a man as it finds him, but improves and makes him better. I want to ask you today, are you a drag to your family? And you make excuses about it? Are you surrendered to the Word of God? And is the Word of God making you into love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, even to the unbelievers in your life? Because the fruit that comes from the root of fearing the Lord is the fruit of the Spirit. You may say they're going to hell, and they may know that you think they're going to hell, but they ought to feel like you are the most love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control person to them that they've ever met. And there's no reason why we should not be that to anybody we interact with. It's the fruit of the Spirit that we say lives inside of us. Matthew Henry again says, same quote, The Word of God rightly used in your life, if you're listening, if you're believing, and if you're repenting, does not leave a man as it finds him, but improves and makes him better. If your family says, well, that's the way he's always been, and that's the way she's always been, and they are never going to change, then stop telling them that you're a Christian, please. Because the Word of God is a continually change producer in us. I ought to not be the dad I am right now that I was to JJ when he was three. He's a seven about to turn eight. There should be five years of grace and the Word of God washing me with the water of the Word for five years. I ought to be better of a dad now. And by the time he's 16, I ought to be way better than I am right now. Amen? We just started another new members class today. And I have to say it, I get to say it, I like to say it every time we get a whole new crop of people desiring to join our church. I have to give them this big spill about how not good of a pastor I am. And how I'm going to let them down. And how I'm probably going to say something that hurts them. Or how I'm probably going to drop the ball somewhere. That's the reality. I don't want that to happen. But I think that the Word of God is making me a better one. And I think that down the road, by the time I'm 40, which isn't that far away, I'll be a better pastor. And God wants that for our families. I want to be a better dad. I mean, I want to be a good dad, but you know what? I want to be an awesome grandfather. I don't know if I'll have grandkids. I may not. But if I ever do get to, I want to be a good one. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord. It will even touch his family. Secondly, his finances. Verse 3, wealth and riches are in his house. Nobody likes to hear the preacher talk about finances. I know that. But the Bible does so much. Wealth and riches are in his house. And some of y'all think, well, they're not in my house, but you don't know how much I make, Josh. 
I don't know how much he makes either. If you were here for the ordination service a couple weeks ago, the Bible warns men of God, ministers, but you can apply it to anybody. The Bible warns men of God to not let their love for money and their desire for gain get in the way of them being a holy and upright man. It warns us against that. And I talked and I talked and I talked that night about the Bible does not say that we have a problem with how much money we have. You can't find in the Scriptures a problem with how much money you have. Listen, church, it is okay for you to make as much money as you want. I hope many of y'all make six figures. I don't know of any of y'all that make seven, but if we do, praise God. You can have as much money as you want. Your problem, and which is a witness and testimony of the Lord Jesus, is how you spend your money. This is the problem. And you know what happens everywhere is that people get upset with Christians because of their money and it's not about how much you have. It's not at all about how much you have. It's about what you do with what you have. Some of y'all, regardless of how much you make, you're spending every bit of it. I had somebody go through a new members class last time and tell me, we can't give any money. We just spend it all. They, they told me that. Well, they didn't tell me. They wrote it. They wrote it in. Sorry, we can't give any money to the church. We spend it all. I didn't address them on that. I don't want to talk to them about that. I don't really talk to y'all about your finances, and y'all know that. But I want you to hear from the Word of God. Well, go to McDonald's one less time and put that $5 in the offering plate. Honor God with your wealth, the Bible says. And it says here, blessed is the man who fears the Lord. Wealth and riches are in his house. If you continue to tell me that there's no money in your bank account and no money in your house and therefore no money to do anything, I'm not thinking, well, gosh, I wish they paid you more. I do wish they paid you more, honestly. But I'm thinking, I wish you would spend a little less. Every one of us have been out to eat before and thought, I'll just get water today. Do it more often. If I take my kids to McAllister's and we all get a sweet tea, that's $14. Right there. That's a lot of money. And the Bible says that our finances... Our finances are speaking to whether we are a blessed man that fears the Lord. Some of you all are trying so hard to up it in other areas of life to show that you're a committed Christian, but you won't touch the area of your finances. The Bible wants us to hear that, that, that the money speaks to where our heart is too. Look what it says in verse 5. It is well with the man who deals generously. And lends. Wouldn't it be nice for you to, to put so much money back and save that when somebody needs help, you're just glad to give it? Wouldn't it be nice for you to be known as a lender? Or, or, or somebody, verse 5, who conducts his affairs with justice, who is upright? Look at verse 9. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. He's mindful of people in need. He doesn't do it anymore. I don't know what's changed, but I used to have a man... They came to me every Christmas and he would say, Josh, I know that this time of year, man, people are hurting. And he'd give me $200 cash. He'd say, here, just hold on to this. When somebody comes around here saying that they're hurting and they need some money, you, you use that for them. I love that. Granted, I know he could have spent $200 on his wife or his kids or something like that. I know. But he gave it to me and said, hey, you see somebody that's in need, you give it to them. That's awesome. All of us know where we could spend the $200, right? Sure. But he's thinking about fearing the Lord. I'm a blessed man. I want to live my life for God. Last week I gave you all an outstanding quote from John Bunyan. I want to give you another one. It says, A man there was, though some did count him mad. 
the more he cast away, the more he had. A man there was, though some did count him mad, the more he cast away, the more he had. The Bible wants us to say, God, the money is from you, the money is yours, and I so want to honor you with it. Proverbs chapter 3, honor the Lord with your wealth and the first fruits of all of your produce. It is our biggest desire that all of our finances are to honor God. We'd rather do that than we would rather do anything else. I I tell this story all the time, or this, this, this observation. When I know somebody that's in need, and I have to go to somebody to ask them for money to help the person in need, it's normally the case that the person that I'm asking for the money is not wearing as new a stuff as the person that I'm giving the money to. Many times I've been to a man wearing the same tennis shoes he's worn for three years and asked him for money as I gave it to a man who's wearing new shoes. That's not who we want to be. We want to be people whose hearts are blessed because we are trusting in God. And we want that to be seen in our families. And we want that to be seen in our finances. You don't have to turn there, but in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul is trying to teach this to the Corinthian church. The Corinthian church was full of people who wanted to live for Jesus and they said they loved Him, but their finances did not look like it. And you know what he quotes? Psalm 112. 2 Corinthians 9, Paul quotes Psalm 112. Thirdly, our fears. Our fears. You can tell if somebody is trusting God and fearing Him based off what they fear. What they're afraid of. Verse 1 tells us that we should fear God. But the passage keeps going. Look at verse 7. It says that He is not afraid of bad news. Why? His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. Austin told us that he learned from Isaiah 26 that God is a rock. You know what the characteristic of a rock is? That it's solid, it is firm, it is unmoving, it is strong. And the Bible describes in Psalm 112 that you and I can have a heart that is like that. My heart will not be crushed, my heart will not be damaged or hurt. My heart is firm. Why? It trusts in God despite all other circumstances and despite the winds and the waves and the tossing to and fro and despite all of the sinking sand and despite the the climate change of the culture and despite of everything that you and I deal with in life, one thing is sure, there is a God I can trust. And my heart is firm. Firm in that. So, if you come to me with bad news, we're not afraid. We don't fear bad news. Do we like bad news? No, we don't fear bad news. There are story after story after story in the Bible that model this. A runner comes from far away and comes to Job and says, man, a storm came and everything you own is wiped out. Job doesn't panic. He gets more bad news, more bad news, more bad news. Job doesn't panic. He mourns, but he praises God. 
Daniel's friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, are told that if they don't do this, if they don't bow down and worship the idol, then they're going to be thrown into the fiery furnace. You're going to die. We're going to burn y'all to death if you don't bow down and worship this idol. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, well, uh, we're not going to do it. And they said, well, you're going to die then. They said, well, let me tell you something. Our God can deliver us from that fire. Listen to this. This is what they said. You can go back and read it. Our God can deliver us from the fire. But he might not. That's what they said. But he might not. And if he doesn't, okay, we'll die for him. We're not going to worship your idol. It's not a God. We worship God. Our God can deliver us out of here, but he might not. Y'all do with us what you want to do with us. Throw us in the fire. Not throw, Y'all do with us what you want to do with us. We're not worshiping your idol. We worship God. They weren't afraid of that. And you know the story. They were thrown into the fiery furnace. God meets them in the fiery furnace and saves them. They weren't afraid of it if they had to. And they knew that they might. God tells Abraham to go and kill his son Isaac. And some people may say, well, we, he, he knew that he wasn't going to have to. No. Hebrews tells us that Abraham thought that God would bring him back to life. Hebrews tells us that Abraham thought God was going to let him kill Isaac, but then God would bring him back to life. He was believing God, but he was still going to do it. He didn't say, well, forget that, God. I'm not. No, his heart was firm. If God tells me to do it, I'm going to do it. We're doing our family devotional last night. We do a, we do a Jesse Tree type thing during Advent season every night. Different devotionals telling the gospel story through Christmas themes. And last night we were talking about the snake in the Garden of Eden. Talked about this same thing with the men's and women's Bible study this week. I want to remind you all that Adam and Eve, they just ate a fruit. Is there anything wrong with eating fruit? No. I hope you do eat fruit. But it was the worst thing. Actually, second worst thing. It was so bad. It was horrible. Adam and Eve eating that fruit in the garden was horrible, horrible evil. It was sick to your stomach. It was the day you will surely die awful. Not because eating fruit's bad, but because they trusted themselves or the serpent more than they trusted God. That is ugly. That is evil. That is make me sick to my stomach when we say, I'm not going to trust God. I'm going to trust me and what I want and the way I feel. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord. He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. Look at verse 8. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid. Listen to this quote right here from A.W. Tozer. You may have heard this quote before. It's outstanding. Listen. And this is applicable to all of us right now. He says, When I understand that everything happening to me is to make me more Christ-like, it resolves a great deal of anxiety. Amen. What if God steadies your heart today? What if God steadies your heart today and makes you firm and resolves in you to trust God no matter what? Andre Iguodala is one of the best basketball players in the NBA. He's been an all-star for years. He's on the Olympic team. He's a star. 
And last year before the season, his coach went to him, a star player, and said, AI, Andre Iguodala, here's what I need you to do. I need you to play less. I need you to come off the bench. I need you to start riding the pine, not playing that much. Most players would have whined and quit. Most players would have transferred colleges because they're not getting to play enough. Most players would have complained, would have went to Twitter and vocalized how they don't like the coach. Most players would have done that. You know what he said? Okay. He took it. You know what happened? They won the championship. He won MVP of the finals coming off the bench. When I understand that everything happening to me is to make me more Christ-like, it resolves a great deal of anxiety. Y'all, bad news is going to come. We don't preach health and wealth and prosperity. Bad news comes into our lives. Don't be afraid of it. Trust God. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord. He is not afraid of bad news. Some people get life like this. Blessed is the one who fears God and gets life. But then it changes at verse 10. And we'll end with this. But there is somebody who does not fear God. And they don't get life. Look at verse 10. The wicked man sees this. It says, sees it. The wicked man sees this. He either sees it because you've said it, sees it because you've modeled it, or sees it because it's in his nature to understand life's about God. There's an argument inside every one of us of a conscience. There are days when you know you're wrong and nobody's even had to tell you you're wrong. There are things that you know are wrong whether you even read that it's wrong. The wicked man sees this and you know what it does to him? It makes him angry. It doesn't make his heart firm. It doesn't make him steady. It doesn't make him humble. It makes him angry. I want to ask you here today if you're battling with anger problems. It is a huge problem in the Christian church that people struggle with anger. Could it be that you are not trusting God? Your heart is too wishy-washy with your circumstances. You need everything to be right. You find yourself saying, "Yeah, it, well, if this would just happen, or if this was just the case, or if they would just change, or if this would settle down, or if I just had more money, or if I just had more time, or if I just had more this or something or something or something, then I'd be godly. Those things aren't coming. Life's not changing that way. What it is is you're not trusting God. You battle anger. And you look more like the ungodly man who's not trusting God than you do the godly man that does. Trust in God. Have a firm heart. Be blessed. Verse 10, the wicked man sees it and is angry. He gnashes his teeth at it and melts away. The desire of the wicked will perish. We all have desires. Whatever the wicked man desires, and it could be so many different things, but whatever he desires, it will perish. It won't last. There's coming a day where the things that you're desiring will not be there. And there's coming a day where the things that you desire, you won't even desire anymore. And it's a problem to have those priorities out of line. You look so foolish to be all about these things, all about these things, all about these things, and then five years from now, 50 years from now, you don't care anything about those things. But when your heart cares about God and you love the truth and you want to live for Him and you fear Him and you're, you're blessed by Him and you greatly delight in His commandments, that never changes. It never goes away. I hope, and I thought about this the other day, I hope that when I'm 65 years old or 75 years old, if I ever make it to that, that I still want to pull the kids on the couch and talk to them about Jesus. I hope I'm still doing that. 
I hope that when a good ball game's on, when I'm 70 years old, I'll be fine to hit pause. Praise God we can pause. I don't have to miss it. But I hope that I'll hit pause on the basketball game so that I can still pray with my kids, read the Bible with my kids, love on my kids. The, the desires of the wicked go away. Some of y'all heard me talk about this before, and I'll end with this story. I have, had a man that came into my life when I was waiting tables who was a multi-multi-millionaire here in Louisville. And he, he'd take a liking to me, and we became friends, and he kind of wooed me over with a lot of big stuff. He let me drive his Ferrari around St. Matthews and did a lot of crazy stuff like that to get my attention. One day he had me downtown at his super high-rise office looking over the Ohio River. He was showing me pictures of him hanging out with Michael Jordan and Magic Johnson and Muhammad Ali and all these big-time people, and I just thought it was the coolest thing ever. He showed me his watch collection and all that, and part of me's thinking, like, what, what are you doing? And then part of me's thinking, what am I doing? He caught me off guard, though. He was a retired man. He caught me off guard. He turned to me. And it was like, within an instant, his eyes had teared up. You know, one of the clear arguments, listen to me, one of the clear arguments to me that God is real is I get to see so many men tear up. Strong, mean, loud. Men that struggle, struggle with anger problems. Men that, that are bosses. Men that are leaders. I get to see them tear up. I didn't make them. This man turns to me, tears in his eyes, and says, Josh, why ain't I happy? Why am I not happy? I didn't even hardly know the man. We were just getting to know each other. It was only the third time I'd ever seen him. Why am I not happy? I was like 25. He was like 70. He's dead now. I didn't know what to say. He said, why am I not happy? What's my problem? I said, I didn't know what to say, so I went to my go-to. I said, all this stuff's really cool. You know I like it. I'm 25, and I don't really have anything to teach you. But even at 25, I know this. Stuff can't make you happy. Jesus is the only thing that can make somebody happy. His name was Larry. I said, Larry, I don't want to try to act like I know more than you, but you're not going to be happy until you know Jesus. He kept crying a little bit. He said, I think you're right. Folks, the Bible wants you to get that. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord and so understands life. Verse 10, the wicked man doesn't. He doesn't see that. He doesn't get that. He doesn't understand that. And so guess what? He's angry. He's frustrated. He's let down. He may mask it by all of this stuff, but when he gets to the end of it, and he doesn't need another watch or another car, he's in the same spot asking why. And so whether you're 15 or 25 or 75, the answer is Jesus. He died on the cross to bring you to God. You have no other hope. Your sins will not be forgiven. You will never understand life until you come to God. Let's pray.
Father, thank You. Thank You, God, for Psalm 112. May we not be asking, why am I not happy? May we not be asking, why don't I understand? Why don't I just get it? May we trust You. Make our heart firm. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.